Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. It's a new year on the podcast, and I'd like to introduce you to some changes that we're making to the show. We're excited to introduce our partnership program. This will allow us to showcase more of the leaders, innovators, and organizations who are at the forefront of the economic transformation happening in our city and our province. Take a few minutes and be curious. Visit their websites, check them out on social media, and most importantly, get involved where you can. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to Mr. Richard Simpson. How are you doing, Richard? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Tyler? I am. I am. I am fantastic. I am excited as I as I often am. I have uh, never been accused of lack of unbridled enthusiasm. I think that's why that's why I try to channel into chatting with uh, with all these smart and amazing people I get to have on the show. You are the vice president of business development at Zero Key, and I was looking up, I was doing some uh, my my mandatory creep time, and Zero Key digitized where something is in three D space was the line that kind of jumped out for me, mm-hmm. and a fine line between like. I, it's so simple, but yet, what did you say? What are we living like? What what degree of sci-fi are we living in? So before we get too far down the road, let's talk about what Zero Key is all about, and then we'll get into the dynamics of uh, being a tech startup in Western Canada. Sure, sure. So uh, what Zero Key is all about, we're all about uh, hyper-accurate positioning or location. Um, so we, uh, we have a technology that can uh, track things in X, Y, and Z, uh, so 3D and at 1.5 millimeters. So we're the most accurate technology in the marketplace today. Uh, so if you compare us to our, probably our closest competitor of technology is ultra wideband, and it's a hundred times less accurate than we are. So there's a, you know, a huge leap that we've made forward uh, to uh, be able to enable, and I'll throw out the buzzwords, uh, industrial internet of things, industry 4.0, factory of the future, uh, whatever, however you wanted to, to, to determine it and define it. Uh, we're able to do things for those people that have never been done before. So we're kind of a key enabler of, uh, of being able to digitize things for uh, industrial clients. And it's a brand new thing for them. Oh, that's powerful. I think I just there, I just see the next two hours of our life going by talking about <laughs> unpacking exactly what you just said. So I'm going to take it way back. I'm going to oversimplify. I'm going to go back 20 years. I lived on a farm in Southern Quebec mm-hmm. and it was when GPS and mapping, field mapping was first coming out. Sure. And the first kind of pitch or the, the, the here's how it works that I saw, this is well, maybe even 25 years ago, they dropped a, a, a golf ball under right underneath there. Had the, they had their quad in the field and they dropped their golf ball right under the hitch. Then they went and drove around the field and did not and like just let, push the golf ball into the ground drove back and stopped and they were within two inch square of kind of where that golf ball was when they started strictly (laughs) by GPS. So what you just talked about, about 1.5 millimeters, just to give context for the world, I think most of us are familiar with GPS and essentially in in high strokes, how it works. Where does your technology go to? Like, how does that intersect or as a, as a way to even correlate between here's something most people know 1.5 millimeters. This sounds like a whole new world that most of us haven't experienced. Yeah, exactly. So if, if you want to use that analogy of GPS, we're, we're like an indoor GPS, but we're incredibly accurate. So where GPS, even outdoors with great planes of view, uh, maybe, you know, five, six meters, uh, either way, uh, where we can maintain that 1.5 in a, an industrial environment. And, and kind of the key thing to that is that where other technologies fail, we don't in industrial environments, metallics. So we're, we're doing quite well in the automotive sector, obviously a lot of metal between the machines and the car parts and everything. Uh, one of the big problems with the other technologies in the marketplace is that their signals bounce so quickly off those metallics that it's really okay. hard for them to maintain accuracy. 
And we're using the speed of sound, not the speed of light. So it's ultrasonics. And that allows us, uh, with a lot of great math in the background and, and the big brains uh, behind our, our business, uh, we're able to essentially filter out the garbage really easily and maintain that accuracy and understand the time of flight of our, of our signal. So it's, uh, it's, it's uh, GPS on steroids for accuracy. Okay. So if I'm in a warehouse environment, I've a big industrial, you know, environment, I've got a sensor on the piece of equipment and then I have sensors in the environment. So is it, it's a two piece of hardware that are communicating with each other, yeah. then all sending it back to a main type of control room environment. Yeah, exactly. So we call them anchor nodes that get put into the environment and essentially they're just meshed together. So okay. it, essentially it's an infinite thing that we can do. So if it's a 50,000, 200,000 million square foot facility. We just keep meshing our, our anchors together. And then whatever we put our trackable onto, we can track. Uh, so it can be everything from a complex workflow of a worker all the way through to a pallet, an AGV or forklift people. And then we can layer all kinds of solutions onto that, whether it's um, tracking that complex workflow for QA and QC in real time. Uh, real-time error detection, which is the big one in the automotive sector. Um, and then, you know, knowing where items are. So you could have a really expensive tool that if it's if it goes missing because someone puts it down somewhere that it shouldn't be put down, it can cause a great delay in getting a process finished. So, you know, it really is, it's kind of that layer upon layer upon layer. We, we're building an onion that uh, that is uh, incredibly um, useful in the industrial environment. Interesting. When you think when you say IoT and the ability to have sensors on a stationary machine, because these machines that are, you know, you get a million dollar piece of equipment on as part of an assembly line, it's covered with sensors, letting everybody know what it's doing and how sure. it's interacting with exactly. the environment. But that environment is not going anywhere because arguably it's bolted to the floor, right? <laughs> Often, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that machine is not going to get up and be like, "Where is machine one four five six? Yeah. So, you know, a couple of years ago, I had the fortune friends, a couple of my wife and a good friend of mine, we were doing, we called it our uh, Italy horsepower tour. So we're in Bologna. We started. <laughs> the day with going to Ducati and uh, followed by Ferrari and then followed Lamborghini and then Ferrari. It was, it was, it was a good day. It was yeah, like yeah. every poster I had in my locker when I was a kid. <laughs> but when we went to Ducati, they were bragging about their, how they had revolutionized their assembly line and being a very handmade type environment. Yep. And also if anyone who knows Ducati years ago, they were, they were known for their sex appeal. They won't know. They weren't known for their reliability, sure. <laughs> lots of maintenance issues. So they were talking about how they brought in, um, all types of innovations in their assembly line. But what they talked about is that tools that, that their individual workers used all were um, linked to a code. So they sure. knew who exactly tightened what bolt on what, on what machine. Yeah. So maybe that was more, is that kind of the area that we're getting into where when you pick up that, that air ratchet or whatever tool you're using to tighten the head bolts on that, on that nice Ducati V twin, yeah. they know exactly who picked it up and they know what it did and how it worked and they could track it back to limit any quality issues. Would that be type of, I mean, types just try to create something I can relate to a sure. uh, type of an environment where your technology would be put into play. Yeah. So so, so take the, uh, the technology they're talking about of tracking the tool and how it's being used and mm -hmm. then overlay digitizing the actual environment that that worker is working in and oh, tracking okay. the worker in that environment using that tool and tying them both together. So then we can start actually understanding, did they torque the bolts in the right sequence? Because we can test to that accuracy. 
So if we put and actually, I'm picturing, I'm picturing a grid in my mind where you actually see the pattern at which they're yeah. torquing the bolts and then realizing that, Hey, you know, in the morning they used one pattern, but after lunch, they actually did it a different way. Yeah. And that potentially caused a batch of engines that failed during testing. That is exactly right. Exactly right. And currently nobody has the capability to track that type of uh, activity on a working line. Interesting. Well, so that's actually not true. Naturally, now they can yeah. because we can do it. <laughs> now, now, oh yes, you're only your co- sounds like a competitive advantage right away. Without a doubt. Like, yeah, like, I, we we got the sale. We got the pitch in within seven minutes. I think that's impressive. I'm, we can we can stop now that. and just send this send this out. All right. <laughs> so I'm thinking. Um, Obviously, AI, some, some emerging technologies need to come in very quickly because you're going to be processing such a massive amount of data. Like one, you're now collecting and you're now collecting it in a way that can be quantified and qualified. Then interpreting that data, like I'm, I'm picturing myself sitting in front of a computer screen going, oh, look at how this person, but now you've got thousands of interactions happening simultaneously mm-hmm. in this million square foot, you know, uh, OEM style environment that yeah. you're focusing on. Yeah. So I'm assuming there's a whole degree of support of emerging tech that's going to now be able to mine this data and do something with it. Mm. Without a doubt. Uh, and that's kind of an overlay that, that we're getting to. Um, and okay. some clients have already gotten to. So we can work with clients in two ways. We can provide them with raw data and they can ingest that into whatever technology that they want to mm-hmm. and be able to visualize it and utilize it and, and optimize it. Uh, or we can provide that to them. And we have the capability of dashboarding real time and, and giving lots of great information back. But without a doubt, machine learning, AI, they, they are the kind of the overlay that's coming. Uh, so we're an NVIDIA Inception uh, program member, which is essentially an AI-based uh, uh kind of uh, accelerator, if you will. So okay. they're, they're going to be make, supporting us get moving in that as well. Um, but yeah, right now we, we're doing a ton of work with clients on, on showing them the proof of our tech and getting into, as I say, sometimes integrations with their, their own tools. Um, and it's the interesting thing because there are a ton of softwares out there that will give you all kinds of great uh, preventative maintenance and, and all kinds of un- wonderful schedules and data outputs. But the reality is without people like us, they don't have anything to enable that data to be collected. So whether we in- integrate with them or do it ourselves, uh, that capability is, is without a doubt at our fingertips. I find it so interesting. I think we all saw, you know, a few years ago, the cover of, of every second Harvard Business Review was big data, big data, big yeah. data. Now, quickly, that's been re- replaced by AI and, and machine learning, yep. deep learning, and all the interesting things there. But the more workshops I attend and the papers I read, it still goes back to the data. Yeah. That algorithm is great, but if you don't have anything to feed it, if you don't give anything, like to your point, to create the actual context for it to do anything with, AI is a great concept, but the quality, the value, the depth of your, and the scalability of your data is, is still absolutely the make or break. Well, it's garbage in, garbage out. So, yeah. you know, if, uh, yeah, you, you can you can have all kind of predict predictive analytics, but if your core information at the very beginning was tainted or, or was not just not good quality or lacking, uh, you're going to get a very tainted view on the back end of things when you start overlaying machine learning and AI to it. So, it's, well, yeah, yeah, versus your 1.5 millimeters of accuracy versus 100 times less accurate, you've got to build now an algorithm just to compensate for the lack of accuracy in your collection data versus being 1.5 millimeters. You know what I mean? Like you've got a whole other yeah. layer just to decipher oh, yeah. what's the misreading of the sensor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, and that's, we're, we're going really ge- deep down the geek gab, gab hole. <laughs> no, I appreciate really understanding it. And uh, I love the intricacy of, you know, so easy we get caught up in taglines and buzz lines and news, and news feeds, yeah. but thinking about, okay, how does this work when it shows up in the real world to yeah. me is, is really interesting. Let's talk a little bit about zero key. You guys are Calgary based. 
Yes. Like what's a little bit of the backstory of the company and let's kind of kind of pivot to talk about the the startup journey that you guys have been on. Sure. So uh, I guess we incorporated back in 2016. Uh, the, uh, the company is Calgary based, uh, our founder, uh, or co-founder, uh, Matt Lowe and, uh, and his, uh, co-founder Hugh McMillan, um, that, well, Matt is born and raised here. And, uh, when he had the concept for the company, he didn't really blink as far as where he wanted to, uh, raise his baby. Um, you know, Calgary is a great place for, for building a small company and, and, uh, you know, it's got a great environment. Uh, it's got some great uh, cost advantages. Um, and, uh, and he saw that uh, the opportunity was to stay here. Um, so for the last, well, before our incorporation, uh, the R&D started and uh, Matt and Hugh uh, kind of uh, saw the opportunity, jumped on it and started R&D for quite a number of, uh, quite a number of years, which is going to be going on for quite a number more now. Um, and uh, originally it was an AR VR focused company. So Matt saw an, an opportunity and a need for uh, for something that didn't exist in the marketplace, and essentially what he was trying to do was to uh, kind of mimic what uh, what he saw in something like the Minority Report, where you've got uh, you know old Tom Cruise doing hand gestures and uh, or maybe Tony Stark now, uh, and being able to manipulate things uh, virtually. And started looking into it and realized that it, this stuff doesn't exist. It's as Matt likes to say, it's vaporware. Um, and really what, what he essentially wanted to do was to start to design a virtual keyboard. So a keyboard that didn't exist. He just needed to be able to type on a surface. Uh, and he realized that to do that, he needed to really, really accurately be able to track where his hands were. Because if you're slightly off, you're on another key. And uh, so he started, started designing that technology and, and uh, realized that it had a great overlay into AR and VR. And our first technology or solution to market was called Big Room, which was essentially taking a VR, a seated VR experience and making it into a room scale experience where you could track somebody very, very accurately, you know, near zero latency in a room scaled environment. Um, but then there was an interesting twist at Mobile World Congress uh, back in 2018. Uh, we were being filmed by uh, the Daily Planet TV show. And they were doing a, uh, they did a bid on us and showed a demo of our tech. And, uh, you know, we were a tiny company at that time and basically took over uh, a walkway and uh, did a kind of a guerrilla, uh, guerrilla filming of, of this piece for uh, the Discovery Channel. And people started congregating and someone that walked by happened to work for Volkswagen watched what we were doing afterwards came over to have a chat with Matt and uh, shall we say the uh, the rest is history we, from that point forward we uh, we were focused on an industrial solution because we realized from those conversations and and a trip to Wolfsburg that uh, there was a great opportunity to be able to apply the technology that we had for AR and VR into a whole different slew of opportunities in industrial manufacturing supply chain management logistics and and other areas and, uh, and that's where we've been totally focused. So I joined just less than three years ago, I guess, over two and a half. Uh, it was just kind of at that point of, of really starting to focus to the industrial side. So, so interesting. I don't want to minimize it in any way, but it sounds like the quintessential startup storyline. We had an idea, you know, we, it took us down a certain path. We got there, realized that that the, the, the execution of that idea, although was maybe interesting, wasn't ideal. We pivoted then, you know, sorry, where was that? Where was the trade show where you, uh, uh, Mobile World Volkswagen? Congress isn't, uh, it's kind of like CES in Barcelona. 
It's just a okay, massive, nice. massive conference annually. That sounds like a ton of fun, especially now that we can't go to any conferences, but that sounds like it must have been amazing. Yes. Um, but so interesting to, uh, from a business strategy perspective, were you guys just, did you have a booth there or were you literally just out there like basically, you know, uh, <laughs> pressing the flesh as they say, that yeah. sounds really terrible. These in a COVID era, but, you, but I'm just curious, I'm thinking about so many startups and I've had them on and I've had people say like, Oh, what have you heard? And what's your advice for startups? And one thing I've heard so much is get out there, like oh, yeah. get out there and bang into people with, with your ideas. You guys literally traveled to the other side of the world, yeah. but arguably that was the best trip you that the company ever made it sounds like well exactly right exactly uh you know it's it's interesting because if we look at the ar and vr space that we were in our product market fit was fantastic but the scale and scope of that industry is very limited and and even if you look at it today the growth of it is much more on the consumer side uh it's starting to move to industrial but even even that has has some limitations Whereas what we're applying our technology to now in industrial work, uh, we can apply AR and VR to it, but then we have a slew of other solutions that we can provide to clients. And we're talking absolutely massive, like trillion dollar uh, industry that we're, that we're looking at when you just look at industrial work as a whole. But to, to echo what you were saying, you know, travel, travel is the way you, you get this done. Um, Mobile World Congress, we've never had a booth. It's all about setting up meetings and, and trying, to, trying to get time with people because you have a critical mass of all of these minds from these companies that are, are the innovators in their companies. And being able to get 10 minutes with them, a half an hour with them can, can change the course of your, your day rapidly. A prime exa- example is um, you know, CES, which most people know, the Consumer Electronics Show, um, which is no longer consumer electronics focused, uh, that show is so massive. But when we show up there, we show up with about 20 meetings preset for the week. And then we add as we go because we're constantly trying to find people. Uh, this year, we actually, or this last year, I should say, we actually had a booth uh, for the first time in what they call Eureka Park. So we took a ton of people down there and it was it was a very different experience. But Matt and I, predominantly spend most of our time doing meetings. We weren't at the booth very often. And uh, for anyone who's ever been to CES, trying to get around Vegas during, uh, during that week, uh, they know what, uh, what a chore it is to get from facility to facility for meeting to meeting. But uh, it's how you get it done. And, and ironically, it's how Matt and I met. Uh, we met in Hong Kong, of all places. Uh, I was working for another it's company. A place for two Calgary, logical place for two Calgary. Guys exactly <laughs> right. So you know we were we were on a, a, a mission that was being guided by the government of Alberta, and uh, I was working for a SaaS based solution, and we met there. And our uh, our last point of uh, of call was in Singapore, and we realized we had a day to uh, to spend at the end where everyone had gone, and we got to know each other just on a very casual personal basis. And, uh, uh, you know, a couple months later, we're sitting down talking about me joining the organization. So, yeah, it's, uh, you've, you got to so make even, it happen. Even on, the, uh, even on the other side of the world, you still did the Calgary thing, which is you just hung out, you spent yeah. some time, you got to know each other. I do love that. Might have been a little beer involved. So, yeah, well, yeah, for sure. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought otherwise. Very tiger, hot, or very what, are you, what are you drink? What are you drinking in Singapore? Sure, I tiger. Been in Singapore. I haven't been in Singapore for years. <laughs> um, 
I really like what you said about, you know, product market fit versus market size and, and market opportunity to say, you know, okay, we had a perfect product market fit, but you would have had to been the number one in that space to make it viable. I'm oversimplifying because I don't know the details, but when you talk about now moving into, you know, in, industrial manufacturing and the trillion dollar industry that that is, you can, you can be a smaller player. And I'm not saying that to minimize, but still have massive success because 5% or 1% of that pie is a massive piece where, and it's, it's a really good lesson for discipline. I've had a lot of companies, even just as a marketer, been in the room and they're like, oh, we've got this thing and it's perfect. Like, well, yeah, but if it's successful, you're only going to get six people. Like it doesn't, it's like, it, it's cool that those six people will like love you, but it doesn't make sense. Yeah. So just hearing that you guys had that moment where you said, yeah, we could nail it in this space. But if we move over here, which I know is sometimes hard to do because you get invested of wherever you are. Like, man, we invested so much to get here, but being agile enough to go, you know what? Let's look at the potential and then having, you know, having Volkswagen knock on your door doesn't, doesn't hurt. It doesn't, doesn't, doesn't diminish the motivation for change, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and, uh, you know, if we look at where we've grown, Germany has uh, not ironically been, uh, been a strong suit for us. Uh, we've been part mm-hmm. of a, of a program there called the, uh, Startup Audubon, which uh, which essentially is all of the major players involved in in automotive, from the OEM all the way back through the supply chain. Uh, they're looking for innovation, so we were in their program six, and I think they may be on program nine now. Um, so it's a great opportunity to 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 get some face time and uh, and people to actually kind of touch and feel what you're doing with your tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a result, we're working with a, a ton of the the German automotives. Uh, we were part of a similar program in Sweden called Mobility X Lab, which was uh, Volvo Cars, Volvo Group, Ericsson, uh, Sevt, and I can't remember the last company that's involved. Um, and so now we're working with Volvo Group and uh, and doing a ton of work with them. So, you know, the, the automotive has been very good to us. But the interesting thing for us is we look at that as one sliver of industrial manufacturing. Uh, you know, great traction, great, great fit, great solutions and, and business cases with them. Um, but anyone building big things in industrial environments, we can help them. So it's, uh, it's, and, and then it flows into other areas as well. Mm-hmm. Well, proof. Yeah. Yeah. Proof. Because you're learning constantly. Yep. So curious, how many of your how many of your customers are in North America? Let's let's start. How many customers in how many customers in Calgary? Let's start working our way down. Uh, <laughs> We're working our way up. We have zero customers in Calgary. We have a partner. Okay, in Calgary. Alberta. Anybody? Anybody? I'm just gonna keep I'm gonna yeah. keep building the the, the profile we'll, here. We'll in Alberta. Stick to zero. Okay, Canada. We'll stick to zero. No. Okay, North America. North America. We have a, a client who's not. North American based, but uh, we have a partnership uh, for a health and safety solution that uh, that is going to be deployed soon. In All North right, America. so you're, you're you're giving me easy fodder for my for so many of my next questions. Yeah. But one thing I did want to ask you really spoke highly. Like your whole your whole life has been built around being out there on the road. Yep. You met you met the owner in in, uh, in Hong Kong. You've met your you 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 pivoted your company based on opportunity that showed up for being on the trade show floor and yep. literally blocking an aisleway. It sounds like which yep. I really like. That strategy. I mean, we're going to put a roadblock up and force our clients to come through our our, our checkpoint. Yeah. What happens in post COVID, or what happens now? What are you guys doing from that perspective? Where you are, we are we're literally chained to our desk. Yeah. Uh, well, that's an interesting question, and and I've got to say, uh, I came home from San Diego on March 13th, and even though the government didn't mandate mandate the two weeks, I did my two weeks at home. Um, and before I could get back to the office, we'd closed it. Uh, we didn't have to because of our size. But uh, we decided just for safety of our people that we would. Uh, I wasn't too happy about that. Uh, it really put a, a 
really put a crimp into uh, how I get my job done. Um, but you know, we, uh, we, we adapt. Uh, so we adapted in a couple of different ways. Um, first of all, we had to wait for some of our clients that we were working with to get back to work. So we could kind of reinvigorate the, uh, the opportunities and the work that we were doing with them. Um, but uh, we also we also had a uh, kind of uh, an opportunity to to reutilize our technology for a COVID safe distancing solution. So we now have uh, a new arrow in our quiver, which is essentially being able to um, put tags onto individuals working in in an environment. Doesn't really matter the environment, and because of our accuracy, we can really, really, really accurately tell the distance between people. So we can set set our tags to whatever distance two meters tends to be the standard. And if if two or more people break that distance, then the tags are going to vibrate, make an audible noise, uh, and there's a bit of a light that flashes too. Um, and uh, and obviously, it's to reinforce that uh, that appropriate. Um, um, do I uh, do I get a little shock at the same time? Sorry, that's <laughs> that's, that's on <laughs> our advanced version. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's well, that's for the remedial program. You could just give me that one right off the bat because I tend to be, anyways. Um, yeah, so you know, <laughs> so, sorry, not, not not a funny joke in a ser- in a serious situation. Yeah, no, uh, I do, it, I do, do appreciate all the different. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You know, t- yes. If we lose the ability to laugh, we've really lost the ability to to thrive. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It makes us human. So we're we're just no, under- understanding the amount of. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. We're just trying to reinforce people doing the right thing. And, uh, and a safe work environment. So, you know, keeping the stress level down for the worker um, and, uh, and obviously giving a tool to the employer. And on top of that, we can do contact tracing. So we can, we can store the information from those tags um, and be able to really accurately tell who were they in close proximity to. So should I test positive, and we need to go back in the history of who was I in, in, you know, whether it be a week, 10 days, 14 days, we can go back and we can proactively ask people to go get tested and isolate until they get their test results back. Um, one, for their personal safety, and two, is to try to avoid mass closures of uh, facilities mm-hmm. like we saw in Alberta with uh, our big meatpacking plants all getting shut down uh, early on in the days of COVID um, because they had no no tools and no capability of being able to understand who did and didn't have it without just closing it down. So, well, it's interesting. I hope I hope this is going to be airing in a few weeks. We're the I think what what are we today? We're the twenty twenty fourth. We're expecting an announcement from our government today to understand if we're going back into a lockdown. <laughs> yeah. There's been endless amounts of media on, you know, quote unquote, our failed Alberta-based contact tracing app yep. that we've got versus federal. And so to understand that this is the reality that we're going to be living with, having tools like what you've provided yeah. to be able to create, you know, safer environments so that our, arguably we might have to shut some things down, but what about food service? What about supply? What about yeah. obviously frontline workers? There's yep. so many factors of the society that we can't just turn off yeah. to, to be able to be functional. So we need, I love that we need better tech to help us be able to understand what we're dealing with. Yeah. And because right now at the lack of information, we just shut everything down. Yeah. But if we've got more information, we can be a little more strategic with that. So to me, that makes a ton of sense. Well, and, and going back to what we were talking about before, like, you know, the apps are, the apps are apps. They're, they're, the quality of data is limited. It's better than nothing, but the quality of data that, that comes out of that solution is, is limiting to, uh, to what you can do with it. Um, anyway, you know, it is, it is reality. And, and, uh, we, uh, you know, we're not, we're, we're, we're actually hoping not to make our, our great wealth off a COVID solution um, because we'd prefer for it to disappear and just get back to work. Yes, but, I, I, uh, I, but it's I reality. We have a tech that can do an incredible job at it. 
And to kind of jump back to the question you asked, uh, what else have we been doing? We've been doing a ton of work on improving our technology. Um, we actually launched some projects in Japan during COVID. And uh, obviously, uh, distance uh, makes some, some issues when you're uh, trying to install and, and get things up and running because we're very used to being hands-on and being at. Well, and this is... this. Unlike AI and data and all these things we talk about, this is a physical, yeah. like there's hardware yeah. included in your in your solution, yeah. which means somebody, there's a technician on site installing things properly so that they can then collect all that valuable data. Exactly, exactly. So one of the great things that's come out of it is in a very, very short period of time, um, we, we've, uh, we've got the beta version of an install wizard, which essentially will allow a client to do a self-installation. So instead of us being there calibrating and making sure everything is, is dialed in just right, uh, the goal is that they'll be able to, to install the, the anchor nodes, walk around with one of the trackables and an app on a, on a tablet and be able to do a self-installation that will take no time whatsoever. Uh, and we're Inter- really are you close. using any of the, some of those AR um, phone, t- tools through your phone to show like that technician support through over distance? We, we, I've, I've, run, I've come yeah. across some interesting things, which feels like it would also be in your guys' wheelhouse. It, it certainly could be in our wheelhouse. Um, we uh, we haven't gone down that path. That's more kind of the AR maintenance side of life. Uh, yep. We don't need yes. that for for the install side. Uh, okay. But we Got most it. certainly could layer our solution onto under that type of solution in the market. Yeah, I just love the more you talk, the more like the little the nodes and the and the linkages between all of the different pieces of technology. Yeah. And yeah, right right now I think we're in that interesting phase where we've got so many like things from so many emerging techs. Like, how do they become relevant to on individual use cases? Yeah. And yeah. what's the difference between like, hey, that's cool, and like what tools or toys? I've heard that said a few times. And <laughs> there's a lot of technology out there that can really straddle the line between those two things. Yeah, to hear what you guys are doing. It, it sounds like a very hyper-practical use case in an environment that already understands Internet of Things and sensors and processing massive amounts of, of information. Yeah, and, and the interesting thing is with a lot of the clients that we, uh, when we enter into our first discussions, um, they're frankly a little jaded and, and a little <laughs> apprehensive because they've tried other technologies that have failed miserably for them. And uh, to the point where w- with, uh, with one of our clients in Sweden, we, we actually had someone... Uh, laugh in our face when we gave our pitch and said 1.5 millimeters. What, what every sales guy loves to hear. Yeah, it, it's a it's a warm and fuzzy feeling. Um, but now uh, now they're one of our uh, prize clients and and uh, and and they see what we can do for them. So it, it's tricky, you know. Um, one of the other issues is is that we're doing something that's never been done before. Or, or at a level uh, of uh, never been right. done before. And as a result, uh, we're on the bleeding edge and not every client is interested in being on the bleeding edge. Yeah, no. So it, you need really those innovators. weeds right? out who, who's innovative and who, who's, who's, who says they're innovative and who's willing to take innovation as a, as a part of their risk profile of doing business. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the great thing is now we're, we, we view ourselves very much beyond the, the startup and into the scale-up side of life. And, uh, okay. and as a result, we, we feel that we're, you know, incredibly close to, to that kind of tip of the iceberg where uh, we, we no longer will have to worry about clients looking at us and saying, well, we don't believe you because we're, we're so close to being able to publish so many use cases that uh, we'll just knock the doors down. So. 
Well, when you got Volvo, uh, Volkswagen, uh, Ericsson, when you've got some of those uh, on on your platform for case studies, like that is the value of like, well, if you don't believe me, please talk to our our group of happy customers that you might recognize (laughs) from some of the major players in the world. So curious, as a startup in Calgary, you guys are four years in, how's the journey been around, you know, uh, I could do a laundry list. How's it been for staffing and talent acquisition? Have you guys, have you guys had to raise, have you guys done funding rounds? I'm not sure where you guys are out there. What's that been like in Western Canada? And then other, maybe what, like maybe your commentary on how involved you guys are or not with the tech ecosystem in our in our city and like you know i think all those things intermingle with each other for startups at their different stages yeah wow uh, you've got a bucket load of questions there um <laughs> so, yeah, I just threw, yeah i'm just gonna throw all the tennis balls at you at once <laughs> <laughs> so so from a staffing perspective um you know we we most certainly have a, a great staff i think we uh we have started to run into <clears throat> excuse me started to run into the uh kind of the gap uh now that we're okay. growing uh so we're we're just pushing 30 people now we're we're on a hiring bit of a hiring spree right now um <clears throat> getting getting that that middle layer of talent is is uh proving mm-hmm. to be a little harder um we can get great grads you know we have a ton of great talent coming out of school here uh which is awesome and we we've hired a bunch of them uh, we've started to layer in some more mature and I'll, I'll you put myself into that uh, category, <clears throat> tongue in cheek ish, uh, more mature in our, in our careers. So you're, you're, you're saying Richards, you're not a new grad. Okay. Go, I got that. Check. <laughs> yeah. I graduated just a little while ago. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and now, yeah, it's, it is a little harder finding that mid layer of, of people that have kind of that really good quality, 10 years of experience, 15 years of experience. Mm-hmm. So what would be a title that would follow? What's a couple titles you guys are, cause I've heard that from other guests. So I wanted to like, maybe unpack it a little bit. Like what specifically titles you guys having challenges with right now in, in Alberta? Uh, well, I'd say even, even in the sales side, it's a, it's a little tricky. Uh, I'd say in, uh, in the engineering side. So we, we're a very tech heavy company right now. Uh, we're mm-hmm. just starting to flesh out the marketing and sales side. Uh, haven't even got to the account management that's still on the sales and, and marketing side. Um, so, you know, getting electrical engineers, getting computer engineers, uh, mechanical engineers, uh, with that sweet spot yeah. of 10 years. So understand larger projects, understand some little bit of people management, yeah. mentorship growth. Yeah. But, but yeah, the 10 years of problem solving experience versus new grad is you, you just, you just, you've been playing the game for longer. Yeah. And, and we even have uh, some interesting situations when it comes to looking for people that may be at a senior position, um, because we are a hardware manufacturer, um, you know, we're doing hardware, software, firmware in-house, mechanical design in-house, uh, finding somebody that's, that can take over uh, a leadership role of, of, the, um, of the development side is tricky because finding someone who has that background, uh, all-encompassing, so to speak, is a, it's, a tough, it's a tough one to fill. That's all there is to it. Um, but you know, it seems like so many, so many roles are unicorn roles these days. It feels like I talked to so many people and we're all looking for, you know, those 10, you know, I heard it referred to as not a unicorn. The other, someone said we're doing well because each one of our employees is a 10 X or what do you mean? (laughs) Each one provides 10 times the value of a normal, of a normal person. I'm like, okay, I like that. I like that new twist on the old unicorn joke that we've all heard. Well, without a doubt, we're trying to, uh, we're trying to reduce the number of hats people are wearing and, uh, and and that's a tricky thing to do. Uh, and we still have a number of people that wear way too many, um, but they're they're so entrenched in in the uh, into the 
development of our solutions that's until we find someone that we can slot in to take on a key role it's it's tricky for them to kind of back out of it yeah, and that's just reality are you guys are you guys do, do these individuals need to be here or can they work from anywhere uh that varies uh so i'm looking to hire my first person in the gta actually uh because of that corridor montreal to detroit uh being such heavy aerospace industrial manufacturing and automotive uh so that role will start <clears throat> early new year um the uh, the other roles, you know, to date we've we've uh, hired we've hired people to be based here. Um, okay, we we did uh, pull someone from the GTA actually. Uh, one of our guys uh, when he first was hired, um, he did his first couple of months working virtually, and then moved his family out here. Um, okay. But uh, you know, it's if it's a perfect fit, we'd most certainly look at somebody who may not be uh, based in Calgary. I appreciate the realities of, you know, the boundaries or the limitations or the old beliefs that have dropped away with COVID. At the same time, I'm also excited to hear about really smart people moving to Calgary. Yeah. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. I appreciate the flexibility that comes through remote work and remote first and all the different buzzwords yeah. you want to call it. But the idea of bringing bringing importing talent into our city, I think that's only going to help us with some of those, you know, how do you get more of those 10 year people, 20 year people, senior leadership, where sometimes we're still humans, you know, I get you and I are doing virtual and we're here. I look forward to the day we can actually sit in the room and have a beer and actually have a chat. There is still such a fine line, but right now the more talent we can get in like physically into our city, I think the better that's going to set us up down the road. Yeah, for sure. And you know, the interesting thing is we have great schools and uh, with SATE starting their new digital program. Awesome. Yes. Um, But those things don't bear fruit for five years, right? So it's not like all of a sudden, say it opens the door and boom, we've got this influx of people that are uh, focused yeah. on the digital world. You're right. Um, but, you know, the Calgary, Calgary is a young city and uh, you, can, you can call us a tech hub if you want to, but if you want to, we're a very small tech hub. Um, yeah. We, we want to <laughs> yeah, be. So te- te- tech hub very light yeah. right now. I think it's aspirational. Exactly. Like you said, we're on, a, we're on a journey. Yeah. Yeah. We're on a great journey, yeah. but we have problems that need to like 10 years from now, our tech ecosystem, I think is going to be very powerful. Yeah. That doesn't help you hire that person in the next six months. No, it that, doesn't. That's the gap. It doesn't. Or put a significant portion of our city back to work that are very talented and skilled, just not necessarily in the things that you need. And that, yeah. there's a real gap there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt, you know, and, and we're looking at, uh, you know, depending on who you talk to, the numbers that I've, I've heard is uh, we're, we're, 10 times too small in our, in our startup community to really have a huge capability of drawing people in and, uh, and probably a hundred times too small to really call ourselves a tech hub. And, and it, you know, if you build it, will they come? I don't know. Uh, they, there's a good chance and, and sure. Calgary is a great city to live in. Um, but you know, the, the reality is, People get drawn to the Waterloo Corridor, the GTA, San Francisco, you know, name any other hub in North America or even globally. Um, it's, it's tough to find and retain good client or a good client. Good oh, client. I, I, hey, I, I, I love Calgary, but there's lots of quote unquote sexier, not like, I don't know, Kitchener and Waterloo, maybe a, sex, a sexier spot. Yeah, I wouldn't go for that. I one. had, I recently had uh, Michael Litt from Vidyard out of Waterloo. Yep. He was a Y Combinator yep. uh, uh, grad that moved back there. So he kind of just talked about like the real grassroots that they took, but they'd also been, bu- they were also building that off the backbone of RIM and the school system sure. there and like things that have been in place for quite a few years, more than we have. Yeah. But still it was a pretty grassroots gritty group that, you know, all culminated around, um, 
commute attack and listening to their story, yeah. but it was still on the backbone of a, of the right kind of environment from from years before. Yeah, even though it's only really been flourished in its in its current iteration in the last probably five eight years. But to your point, that's still eight years. We're we're, we're maybe a couple years in on this journey. It feels like. Yeah, you know, it's it, as you said, it's aspirational to to be uh, considered a tech hub and and. The it's going to be tricky to tell how things really play out. Uh, is every city going to be a tech hub sooner or later? I don't know. It's <laughs> know. Uh, you know it's reality. It's it's kind of like uh, I you know the the throwing people throwing out the word digitization. It, it's it's not far from being like the internet. It's like asking someone. Do you I had someone say that internet? to me the other day. So, yeah, well, yeah. do you digitize? It's everyone does already. They just don't call it that. It's, it's and how it's, mature it's, are it's they? The file the files are in the computer. Yeah, right? exactly, exactly. Uh, I was talking to um, Corey Jensen from MultML uh, a few episodes a few episodes back. That's what he said. He goes, Tyler, in four or five years. AI will be the way we refer to the internet now. It's yeah. just an underpinning. Yep. It's just there, like yep. you know, the opportunity. I love what you guys are doing. I am, a, I am a big advocate of. I've had a few guests on, and I also subscribe to the theory of, you know, let's not try to be what every other place has been. We're not going to be Silicon Valley. We're not going to be Waterloo. I love capitalizing on what Alberta is good at, and I think the you know uh, IoT, Internet of Things, and some of the movement that's happening around that. I think there's some high degree of relevancy in our province around something like IoT, mm-hmm. and I think there's a lot of. I've some friends and some people that are involved in that, and the IoT Center of Excellence that they're kind of putting together right yep. now. There's some interesting movements around there, but it, it's just not as sexy, I think, as the IML story <laughs> because there's still hardware involved. Yeah. Like, but we're Alberta, like we we do physical things, like we still do physical physical stuff here. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know. I think there's a lot to be said. I'm getting a bit philosophical on it, <laughs> but I think that uh, there's a lot of opportunity for IoT as a general kind of discipline or an area of this tech hub, I think to get some real traction in Alberta. That's my, it's my view. Maybe my hope as well. Yeah. And, and we have some great companies uh, around town that whether they came out of oil and gas, uh, you know, people poo poo oil and gas for, uh, or Calgary for being uh, kind of hung on oil and gas, you know, the, to diversify, you need, you need a kernel to start from and oil and gas was a pretty big kernel. And if you're foolish enough to think that, oil and gas didn't bring big tech into uh, the Alberta and Calgary uh, ecosystem, then you're, you're bonkers. Uh, they were spending a fortune. <laughs> I, agree, I agree with yeah, you. They were spending a fortune on, on cutting edge technologies uh, and were digitizing things long before other people were. Um, so, you know, we're, do we have an opportunity to uh, become more than, uh, than just that without a doubt? And we're well down that road, but it's a very long road. Yes. You know, we're, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And, uh, you know, you can sprinkle pixie dust on, on all kinds of little things and hope, hope things will grow on it. But uh, at the end of the day, it's, it's people have to put in the hard work to get it done. Yeah, and there is going to be, like you said, there's going to be some winners and losers. Yep. And right now we've got some green, green shoots, but we don't have, you know, when's the best time to plant a tree? Well, 20 years ago. But if not then, <laughs> well, just plant it today. Yeah. <laughs> get it, get on it. Yeah, exactly. So curious about funding. How's, what's the funding journey been like for you guys? Is that something you've needed to do? Has it been bootstrapped? Have you brought in some funding? And if so, how did that, because I've heard a lot of feedback that Alberta money is a bit scared to invest in some of this tech startup. <laughs> and there's, it's all there, but it likes to sit on the sidelines. And again, I've heard all kinds of different versions of yeah. that storyline. Yeah. Um, so, uh, the company started being uh, being founded uh, and and funded uh, through uh, the support of Hugh McMillan, our co-founder. Um, he's been a successful oil and gas man and uh, and oh. put his faith behind the technology and and Matt uh, bringing this new solution to market. Um, so that was the original support. Uh, got a, got the R and D kicked off and and uh, a lot of great stuff done. Um, and we've done some friends and family and uh, some kind of angel, maybe super angel investing. 
Um, and uh, we're currently in a Series A process. So nice. uh, okay. hopefully very, very soon be able to, uh, to be more public about that. Um, yep. But it's a, it's a, I, I appreciate it. Breaking news. Breaking, you heard it <laughs> exactly. here first. I know, I, uh, no, I appreciate understanding. And that Series A for you guys, has that been, without getting into too much detail, mm-hmm. has that been attracting other local investors? Or have you guys looked really broad for that kind of around the, like North America or maybe even globally? Because you guys are more aware uh, uh, on the other side of the pond yeah. than you are here, I would say. <laughs> yeah. So um, without a doubt, we, we, uh, we worked the angles here. Um, but yeah, we, uh, we, we, we cast a, a big net. Um, mm-hmm. so the, um, the ecosystem in Canada is an interesting one. Um, the, the process is an interesting one. It, it most certainly is not a quick one. Um, but it, it seems like if, if you're at that seed level, uh, it's not as big a hurdle to, to get over. But once you're starting to get into a, uh, a series A, uh, it starts to become, uh, a bit more pronounced that that there's a gap in our funding solutions, uh, the mechanisms, whatever you want to call it, the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and and you know, at the end of the day, we we are a small country in uh, in wealth and in population compared to other places, uh, even if we just look right. south. So you know, there's obviously more money based in the Bay Area or in New York or Boston. Uh, which are, you know, are kind of the key hubs of, of VC money for the mm-hmm. U.S. Um, and then, yeah, when you look internationally, there's a ton as well. So we, um, as I say, I, I can't get too far into where uh, where we're going yep. right now, but but uh, I can say it will not be a Canadian lead. Uh, we would have loved a Canadian lead, um, but uh, but that's not the reality. Um, okay. But we uh, we do love the the group of people that we've got together now is uh, is a really great fit for the company. And, uh, and they're, they're highly supportive in, in pushing us forward and, uh, and helping us get to the next phase, the next phase and the next phase. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think it kind of goes back to, especially for, for Calgary, it kind of goes back a little bit to the fact that we're a young city. Um, there's sure there's old money, um, but it's, it's old oil and gas money predominantly. Um, some of it not, is not necessarily com- comfortable with this style of an investment. Plan, some of right? it not. That's what I've heard from many yep. guests as well. Some of it not, uh, but some Again, of it is. I'm speaking in broad statements. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's pockets yeah, of family money and family offices that are yeah. absolutely interesting. I'm, sure. I'm certainly generalizing, but there's, you know, there, there, there definitely is, uh, um, there's, there's growth happening, which is great to see. And, and in the Canadian landscape and, you know, we've, we've, uh, we've been working the system from Vancouver to Toronto, uh, on the VC market and, uh, <clears throat> different people have different views. Uh, one of, I, I'd say without a doubt, one of, one of the hurdles that we have is the fact that we do do hardware. Hardware is not as sexy to, uh, to, to some investors and many investors because it's not just plug and play and walk away. Um, everybody loves yep. a SaaS solution where all you have to do is push it out over the internet and then collect your subscription fees and watch, and get, watch and, your and market share. And they put in their credit card and, 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 and Bob's your uncle. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we're in a different place uh, compared to that. Um, but as I said before, if it wasn't for people like us, those SaaS solutions would have uh, limited information to be able to, uh, especially if they're IoT solutions, limited information to engine. Well, there's an argument that you might be a little bit stickier when I've got your when I've got all your sensors creating a green 
grid and my million square foot facility, I'm maybe not going to be so quick to change you out. So I think there's two sides to that SaaS, that SaaS are, story. I can drop a SaaS very, platform. Yeah. I know they work hard to make them as sticky as possible. And anyone who's tried yep. to unwind yep. a SaaS platform that's integrated into your ops, it's, it's easier said. You don't just switch. But when I've got hardware and I've invested in that, uh, you know, I don't know. Anyway, sorry, not to talk about from the investor side. No, no, no. Side. That's so totally curious, accurate. When you, yeah. Yeah. When you're out there on the, uh, when you're out there on the, on the pitching scene, any, any holdbacks? Does anyone say, yeah, I'm really interested in you guys, but Calgary, what's a Calgary? Well, why Calgary? <laughs> Do you guys have talent problem? Like, does that come up in the pitches? Well, especially I'm, I can only imagine it does when you're in international markets. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting. Um, the, the great thing about, uh, international investors, especially ones that are, are savvy in the, in the, the ABC and beyond rounds, um, they're, they're more interested in what you're doing and how you're doing it, not where you're doing it. Um, okay. you know, it's, uh, so from that perspective, I think we're, we're doing okay. Um, you know, geography sometimes does act in because you, you certainly do have VCs that like to be able to drop in to their, uh, their investments. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. if we have someone from Germany, Japan, or Singapore, uh, it's a bit of a longer hop to, uh, to be able to drop in. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, but sure. you know, I, I really do find that geography is not as big a deal. Okay. Well, that's, that's optimistic. I was always curious about that perception is, you know, talking to different people from CD or startup Calgary, when they, they said even three to five years ago out on the road, even in Toronto, you'd get more of like, well, isn't Calgary just this, but certainly been hearing positive, you know, back to the green shoe comment that there's some, there's some, that we're starting to get on the radar a little bit. I know on a very small scale, I'm being more optimistic than maybe realistic in that <laughs> statement, but I've had some individuals on from Silicon Valley. I've had some individuals on from, from, you know, Windsor, uh, Kitchener Waterloo and, they, you know, I've heard from them, we got to get out there and tell our story as best we can. So whether it's you guys out there raising money, telling the story or having trade missions, like you said, you were on a, you were on a, a Calgary economic development mission when you were in Hong Kong. So I think our city's doing that. I just think we need to do more of it. Yeah. I, I don't think we can really do too much right yeah. now. There's yeah. no such thing as doing too much awareness around Calgary and this movement that we're on. Cause we're not there. We're not there yet. Yeah. 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 You know, it's uh, it, interesting. It's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting time and place for, for, for mm-hmm. the, uh, the tech ecosystem. Yeah. I think one of the questions you asked earlier was, are we kind of plugged into the scene locally? And, uh, I'd say yes and no. Uh, you okay. know, we, we're, we're plugged into quite a bit of it, but we, because we do so much business outside of what's happening in, in Alberta as a whole, or even Canada right now, um, Really, it's hard for us to invest a great deal of time into uh, into the network here. Um, you know, are we happy to share our knowledge with uh, with people? Without a doubt, um, done it with many new startups um, that are are just trying to get to that commercialization point and and trying to figure out what their product market fit, who their clients are, the persona, whatever other uh, things you want to throw out there from a from a sales mm-hmm. and marketing perspective. Um, so yeah, you know, we, we, we definitely do know lots of people, um, but we haven't really tried to build our brand in Calgary uh, because we're not focused okay. on building our business in Calgary from a, a client yeah, which, which, perspective, which right? Um, and mm-hmm. that's not to say that that will stay that way forever, but the opportunity didn't come here. So we're, we're 
being opportunistic in uh, in where we're going to push our brand and where we're going to push our growth. Um, you know, notwithstanding, we just got two great write ups from uh, Livewire Calgary and the Calgary Herald. I, um, I just read. I just read one. I saw it posted on your LinkedIn this morning. Actually, I was like, it literally came up. I'm like, does it, does LinkedIn know we're talking today? Exactly. I was. I turned on my LinkedIn. It was the first thing that came up on my screen this morning. Well, I tagged you in it. So <laughs> yeah, per- oh, per- perfect. That's smart. I didn't say well, nicely done. Uh, oh, I love the, oh, the world. The world's on very, very little is serendipitous anymore, isn't right. it? It's all and there's an algorithm conspiring to to, to get us to hang yeah, out. <laughs> yeah. So it's you know it, we uh, we we certainly are happy to support the local community and and there's some great stuff happening. Um, but I think one of the big problems with our local community is that it's so fractioned. Um, you know, I don't think everyone's rowing in the same direction, and they're and they're most certainly not in the same boat. Um, so it's it's uh, it's a tricky one. Yeah, and so definitely a, a symptom of the of early days, I believe. Yeah. I've had a few other people start to imply that, like we need this, we need some type of coming together, we need some type of a lightning rod, we need some type of unification of like we've got way too many like nodes and hubs and spokes, and it's all it, it's all scattered right yeah. now and fragmented. Yeah. And everybody wants their horse to be the horse, and I, I get it, but I think it's a little bit of sim- symptomatic of if you were to look at it from the outside, you probably someone would probably go, oh yeah, that's a pretty early stage. Yeah. XYZ because of all that, that fragmentation. Yeah. Hey, I'm as much as I make the comment about bringing, I love the, the story of bringing talent to Calgary. I also love the story. And also think we're incredibly poor at telling our stories in, Al- in Alberta. You guys are in a success story. You're here. You don't have customers here, but you're here. Yeah. You're a Calgary based business. Who's been able to crack an international market mm-hmm. with a, with a new, with a new technology. To me, that's a, that's a fantastic story. And I think also very inspirational. If nothing else, just knowing what you guys are doing and what you've been capable of should act as inspiration for anyone. No matter what challenges you're dealing with, somebody somewhere aspires to have your challenges right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and the, you know, from a, a, again, from a support perspective, not only are we a growing business, uh, with headcount and and adding more people to our lovely new office that we've really not been able to showcase because uh, of moving into it in January and closing in March. Um, But outside of that, we build stuff and we employ people locally to build stuff for us too. So, you know, we're, we're, we're really happy to be supporting the, the ecosystem as a whole, uh, whether or not that's Mm -hmm. attributed to our headcount or supporting someone else, keeping their business running. Um, you know, we're again goes back to Matt wanting to wanting to keep his his business in his hometown. So, which I appreciate yeah. that. And hey, the idea of you going out abroad, raising money, and bringing that money back into our ecosystem—that's another like that's another positive yep. win. Like from all fronts, all that to be said. Kudos to what you guys are doing, and thanks for sharing your story with me today. It's quite not only that I like to I, I think I geeked out maybe a little too heavily. <laughs> we might have lost some people in the first ten minutes. They're like, is this just going to be talking about the tech? But I appreciate really setting the stage of what you guys are building, and it's so easy with emerging tech to just hear buzzwords and not really understand how it shows up in the real yeah. world. Yeah. So to talk about the practicality of the value that you're product can provide. And as a marketer, isn't that the most challenging thing we do sometimes? It's like, sorry, what do you guys do again? You know, if, yeah. you, if you can't get past that, it's hard to get them to buy from you in my, in my experience. Exactly. Without a doubt. Rishi, what's the best way for uh, people to learn more, find out, get a hold of you, find out more about the company? Uh, do, what's, your, what's, the, what's the best area for them to dig in? Uh, our website, zerokey.com. And if you want to get a hold of me, it's richard at zerokey.com. So not too hard. 
Excellent. I appreciate putting it out there. And I'm sure you've got, and maybe you've got a 10 year, you know, uh, mechanical engineer who's just looking for something different and happened to listen to this podcast. That's my hope. I put these, I put these out, out in the world and love to hear six months from now of the, of the good that came out of it, or maybe somebody that heard about you from the show, or if nothing else, give people some inspiration around what's possible and that you can build a global tech solution, you know, and there's other stories out that like you guys are doing with a hardware software blend in to spell to sell to the industrial uh you know customer base globally that's that's pretty exciting when you sum it up like that but richard thanks for taking the time today really enjoyed our chat thanks for geeking out with me a little bit tyler my pleasure and thanks for uh, having me on